Oh yeah, we're back, back on Zoom, because man, we've been we've been talking baseball, ALDS. You were in Chicago with my colleague Matt Musil. We were here at Minute Maid for the White Sox series. Looking back now, Jeremy, what is your biggest takeaway from that ALDS with the White Sox and Astros? Uh, the Astros are here here to stay. They're for real. It's a good club. James Click has done an excellent job to augment what he walked into, keep them relevant as they move forward understanding who to move up and who to send out send down and, and what pieces he has and and, and him and, and Dusty Baker's done such a great job of changing the culture and you know in the, in the clubhouse and with this team and look for having been around this team now um, parts of it because obviously not everybody's still here for the last four or five years the culture that click and and Dusty are putting in uh, is so different than what was around before it's so engaging and open and fun and honest and dare I say it humble. Whereas before they were the, the signature franchise and signature people for arrogance and this disliking who they are. And even a guy, even to the point where a guy who literally had zero to do with any kind of sign stealing is the face of the sign stealing scandal around the league and Jose Altuve. That's how much this team made themselves unlikable and what they're able to do just by letting people see who they are and just by, um, you know, uh, playing together as a unit and not speaking, but just performing um, is is let a lot of the country begin to open back up to them. It's they're never going to win everybody over. You know, the stuff's going to follow them forever. But James Click and, and Dusty Baker have done a great job of, of helping the younger guys still grow up in Korea and Bregman and letting the veterans be veterans and putting this culture together that's fun to be around. I still think we're a wa- long way, though, Jeremy, from America embracing the Astros. Sure. I mean, a lot of people think that Carlos Correa is arrogant and – I think he's probably one of the more hated players around the league. Altuve, it's Altuve is just unfortunately the victim of some idiotic thing that somebody dreamed up. Correa, because he shows his emotion and he performs in big games, let's be honest, right? Like he yeah. performs when it counts. But I was just I was just really impressed by Correa after the game breaking down exactly his mindset when it comes to his third inning RBI double, two-run double off Carlos Rodon. You know, some guys would think, oh, I just went, you know, I was just thinking fastball. But he really broke it down, not just on the broadcast, but afterwards that he saw Carlos Rodon basically all of his bravado and you know, punching his chest because he was getting guys out on high heat. He was looking for it. He missed it the first time, but he didn't miss it that next time. And Carlos Correa, also his leadership, basically telling Jake Myers, okay, man, like you don't have to be a hero. We we got this. And the thought of him as if you're an Astros fan, the thought of him not being around this team anymore, man, it, that's just, it, Springer hurt, Garrett Cole hurt, but Ver, but and Verlander's a different story. But Carlos Correa, I mean that that that's that's going to be a lot different, I think. You know, the funny thing is that as talented as he is, um, he's a six hitter on this team. Tells you how good everybody else is, right? I mean, and and that's look, Carlos has been an instinctual player for a long period of time. He's been a student game for a long period of time. I don't think you know anybody who's been around him. You know, certainly in the scouting world, to understand that this guy is always looking for some kind of a, a way to improve himself. 
I almost used the words edge. I almost said they're always looking for an edge, but we need to separate ourselves and really differentiate because some people will take that and run with it to mean something different. What I mean is that he's looking for ways to get better. You know, he was one of the, the, the poster boys for blast, you know, the, the hitting sensor, right? He's not, they don't use that anymore in that organization, which is um, something they've, a direction they've decided to go. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with some of the, the swings and misses they were having with some of those players. But Correa was still the first guy to be the, pit, the poster boy. Um, he is somebody who is who works on his craft in, in infield. We watched him. You and I have talked about it when he's taking ground balls, how he gets his feet underneath and stays above the ball to repeat his release point. Like he's always doing something to advance his execution. And what he did against Rodon is execution. That's an execution play. That's not something that you know shows up in a, in a in a stat sheet. You can't. All you're going to see in a stat sheet is 95 mile an hour fastball, this location, this exit velocity. What you're not going to see is the adjustment he had to make to get his hands into position, mindset himself, get back to that pitch, knowing at some point he was going to get it and then turn that around on the pull side for a double, two runs, ball game. They never recovered from that. So um, for, for him, the for the Astros, rather, the value in Carlos Correa uh, is, is Carlos Correa stay, staying together in that unit. It's not so much that he's got to be a three-hitter on this team. He does. He's a six-hitter. It's not so much that he has to play – uh, 162 games. He doesn't because they got other guys that can fill in. But the, the core of Guriel, Altuve, uh, Correa, and Bregman, it's going to be tough to break that one up. And and I think that, you know, and I know that James Click is going to do everything he can to try to sign him. I know they're going to do what they can to work with, with, with it, but they're paying Carlos Correa to hit home runs and to pick up the ball and execute it and to, you know, uh, be an anchor in the middle of that diamond. They're not paying him for anything else. And the question is going to be, what does Carlos see for him beyond just the baseball and where he wants to go next. It's the only reason he won't be an Astro. I think when you consider what his value is away from the statistics, the influence that he has being bilingual with some of these younger pitchers that come up and the fact that when we've seen Framber Valdez get a little, have some issues on the mound, who's the guy that goes out there it's Carlos. Well, I mean, we, we say we can't put a price on it, but we have to, because I promise you Carlos is going to. And when it comes to, um, again, this is really what you see in places like Houston. It's a Houston's what? Fourth biggest city in the country now. Uh, what are we? Sixth or seventh biggest media market? Uh, seven or eight. Okay. So we're seven. Let's just say seventh biggest media market. Um, that means there's only six media markets bigger. Carlos Correa is going to have to decide if staying in Houston is best for his, um, what's the word, brand, I guess, right? Or does he want to go somewhere like New York, which is obviously great, or L.A., which would be the Angels? Does he want to go play in some places that might have a little bit bigger media market? I think knowing the history of Carlos, and, and we'll use that versus a guy like George Springer, who could care less about that. It was about playing baseball, and that was just his mindset. Um, I think when you look at, otherwise you don't pick Toronto, right? I mean, so that's just, this is about baseball and family and, and being that. I think that's pretty important to Carlos, and 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 it's going to be his decision to stay with the Astros rather than what the Astros are going to offer him. I actually think this one's going to go far beyond dollars and leadership. I think it's going to go into what Carlos thinks his money is away from the field as opposed to at the field. Well, he did take less as an amateur, Right. They worked a pre a pre-draft deal, one of those type of type of deals. I mean, obviously now is a completely different situation, but 
it it um, it will be interesting to see, to say the least, what the market will produce for him. Because an average guy like me or you, we sit there and we say, oh, uh, 20 million, 25 million, 30 million. Like, does it really matter? Like five or 10 million a year when you're a contract of 200 million? I don't know. Well, I, I think you look at it this way. I think you look at it as there's a certain amount of money for any person, any human being, right? Depending when you come, come across it, that sets you for life. He's passed that long ago. Okay, so did Alex Bregman, so did Altuve, so it's all these guys passed that number a long time ago. This is now about respect money. Okay, where do I fit in the game? What am I here? What am I there? I mean, without putting my own personal business out there, the number that I need to achieve to, I mean, that's it, it, you know what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like that's where it is. Whether I passed it, whether I haven't, it's irrelevant. You know where it's at. And so the point is, is that everything I do. Let's say from this point forward, let's just use it's about respect. If it's go back to an organization, it's this is what my market value is. This is what I need to be making. This is what my responsibility should be. And on the field for him and in my business, same thing. And on the field for Carlos Correa, it's where do I fit with the shortstops in the game? And James Click and, and Jim Crane have to say, you're a six hitter. This is what we value for. You play shortstop every day. This is who you are. We'd love to have you here still, but this is the value of that. And I promise you, yeah, I can say, I promise you, the conversation is going to be for baseball or baseball and everything else. And Carlos and his, and his wife are going to, because it's going to be a family decision, mainly his, are going to have to make that decision. And I will refer back to what you said about him taking a discount to go in the draft in oh, 2012. It's 12, okay? He took four and a quarter million. Bobby Heck was a scout director. They were able to sign Lance McCullers as a second rounder with that money. But Carlos got to go first overall. That's a pretty big status point. There's only one guy in every draft that gets to go first overall. He happened to be that guy. So is it worth a couple of million dollar status cut to go ahead and go first in the country when the money you're going to get anyway sets you for life right away? You know, so I, I don't I don't think that it's really that big of a stretch for him to be doing that again. I just think now it's about, listen, I got four million when I signed. I've got X amount of million over the last decade because it's been a decade, right? Nine years that I put in the bank now. I Now I want 350 because I'm better than this guy. And now I want the ability to make another 200 million off the field. Now I want to go be Alex Rodriguez part two with, let's just say, better character. Okay. Let's just say that. So I, I think that's what Carlos is looking at. And the only reason he doesn't sign with the Astros is because of that status. One of the more interesting things we heard after the Astros beat the White Sox in the ALDS. Matt Musil speaking with Astros pitching coach Brent Strom. And this is what surprised us. You know, I, I often credit, uh, you know, uh, Carlos Correa as a leader on this team. He's a guy that makes my job a lot easier. Uh, a lot of times when I go to make a trip to the mound, uh, he'll beat me there and I just back off and go take a seat. But offensively, uh, just, just the approach that each player takes and the pride that they take uh, not striking out, it's kind of old school type stuff, uh, which is playing pretty well for us. What's this like being part of this golden era of hmm. Houston Astros baseball? Well, I remember in 2014 when I first came aboard, uh, we went 72-90, and 90, and you'd have thought we'd won the World Series uh, because of the previous years. Uh, but I, I will tell you, uh, a, a lot of this credit goes to a guy who watched this, Jeff Lunau. Jeff Lunau 
is the architect of this whole thing. And, and him sitting at home watching this kind of brings tears to my eyes a little bit because he was such an integral part of this whole thing and, and he still is to this day. His, his footprint is still on this team and uh, I'll never forget him. Jeremy, that was a name I did not expect to hear, Jeff Luno. Now, I know that they have quite the history because who brought Brent Strom over to the organization was Jeff Luno. You're trying to, you're trying to choose your words carefully. Um, you know, we, we know, and I, and, I, and I want to thank the guys in there that, that value what we say and listen to it and treat us as the, well, as the way they do. Okay, there's, there's some good players and coaches over there that you and I both know pay attention to the things that we say, whether it's here, whether it's on TV. Um, and, and look, I, I, I cannot commend these guys enough for some of the strides they've made and how fun they are to be around at this moment in time. Okay? Um, and because of that, I am going to choose my words carefully in, in how I respond to what um, their pitching coach said, because I know they value him. I know he's an important member to them, and I'm certainly not going to disparage him. He's entitled to his opinion. Um, to say that Jeff Luno had nothing to do. By the way, is it Luno or Lou now? Which is it? Because I'm tired of this stuff going back and forth. I've always said I call, Luno. Hold on, I call I him suspended, Luno. but I'm trying to figure out if it's Luno or Lou now. I believe I once asked Jeff, and it was Luno. So. Okay, so Jeff Luno. All right. Um, Jeff Luno has been gone two years. Okay. Suspended last year, not much of a year because of the pandemic, still some things to be done. And in 2021, um, I have been on record as saying it takes a while to put your own footprint and imprint on a club. And when James Click came in here, and I think he would tell you this if asked, there wasn't a whole lot to do at the big league roster, but keep them tight and keep them rolling. I and mean, everybody knew that. That's not really a surprise. And James Click is an extremely smart guy who has his finger on the pulse here, is doing nothing but trying to reinvent the culture and the respectability of the Houston Astros from the ground up, which is where they need the most help, okay? Now, Brent Strom has only been focused at the major league level. Now, is he paying attention to minor league? Sure, it's his job as a major league pitching coach to know what's going on down there. But um, for a lot, there's a lot of things that happens that go far beyond one of one GM. And you can't give James Click all the credit for this because – his job when he came in here was to kind of steer them through a tough period of time, keep them relevant, keep them good along with Dusty and, and, and kind of show them some love, keep them connected as a group and then move them forward and be competitive. That's what they've done. Luno had a lot to do with some of the pieces on this major league club. Okay. He just did. Whether it was bringing in a Yuli Gurriel or whether it was a trade for Jordan Alvarez. Those are all Gonzalez. So there's no, it's the, the dra actual draft of Alex Bregman. That was Verlander. Right. Garrett Those are Cole. all things that he had to do with the team as constructed today, as constructed in 2019 and 18. What is remiss that Brent Strom won't say is that, and I don't know why, is that not only did this guy and James Click have something to do with it, Luno, of course, did, but the guys before him and the guys before them did too. You don't get this good as an organization and be able to weather some really rough storms in scouting and player development. And let me back up. With Edway and Bobby Heck, it was scouting and development first, trying to be relevant with under Drayton McLean to still stay competitive, right? At that level, under Luno, it was we're going to lose 9 million games. 
And we're going to go ahead and take all those players that were that were left here, drafted and developed. And by the way, Luno was the second choice of Jim Crane under a new owner, okay, to go get uh, all these players that were drafted and developed and left behind that were just starting to arrive. And we're going to go trade these guys at different places, and we're going to make our roster better while keeping the guys we want to keep here. That's great. That's his job. He did a good job of that. But it took both front offices focused on different things to make this work. There wasn't one architect here. The first group didn't get a chance to see it through because Drayton McLean sold to Jim Crane. Jim Crane came in and said, hey, I want Andrew Friedman. Andrew Friedman said, no, I'm staying in Tampa Bay. So he went and got Jeff Luno, and Luno did his thing for seven years. James Cook is doing it now. Altuve is the only player that I can think of that predates all of that. And he's an MVP. So when I'm looking at this, I hear the architect. There's a lot of architects in here. Luno may have tied most of this big league roster together as it's constructed. You can say that, but you can't disrespect James Click, and you can't forget how those guys got here. Unfortunately, all Brent Strom knows is how his buddy, his buddy, Jeff Luno, brought him over here from St. Louis, plugged him in, and did what. And, and you know what? That's fine. But the reality is it, you don't get this good with one front office or one guy. It takes a bunch of time to get through it, which, again, is why I've said a GM needs seven years to see what he can do top to bottom. If you go look back at Jeff Luno's seven years, he was very good at, tra at trades, waivers, and uh, free agent acquisitions. He was great at that. They were not very good at drafting and developing. They've got a couple of guys that have arrived. They were terrible to the point where they had to tear it back down and build it back up, and that's what James Click and those guys are doing right now. Previous regime was very good at that, which is how Jeff had the ability to do stuff with the big league roster. So there were a couple different architects of this. And I think to be my to, do, to be myopic is just trying to breathe life back into his friend to get back in the game. And this is where I'm going to say this because, man, this still makes my blood boil. I'm talking about a guy like Jeff Luno who told everybody else that's ever been part of this game without doing it his way that we're irrelevant. And I'm saying me too, because I grew up in it. I was born in big league clubhouses and I grew up around lots of people. And while I'm not bitter at not being part of the game, because I'm very happy with where I'm at, as far as the major league game, very happy with where I'm at. I've said this for, for, for five, six years, man. I love my life. I do. I do. And if I went back, it would have to be with people, culture, people, places I want to work, comfort zone, to be able to go ahead and be part of something great. That said, Jeff Luno destroyed a lot of people in baseball just because he what's that company he used to work for i forget just because what's the company's name mckinsey just because that's where his background was we're going to cut people we're going to ruin lives and we're going to go ahead and we're going to be as cutthroat as we can for no reason whatsoever firing people that didn't deserve to be fired setting a trend across baseball that costs affiliates and jobs all in the name of efficiency and hurting baseball more than he could ever help it. So while Brent Strom is going to turn around and say, the architect isn't here, Brent, all due respect, man, I get it. But you know what? The guy was awful for baseball. He was awful for people. And he's right where he should be. And that's somewhere else outside of the game. But I do see why Brent says it because, you know, he got there. The Astros to him are Jeff Luno. So I, I can see why he said it. I was just surprised he said it. He's a smarter baseball guy than that. And I'm not going to disparage him. Because I, I, he's so good at what he does. Oh, he's right? amazing he's so at what good. he does. Yeah, but I, I just, it's like, and, he's, and those guys love him. So he's doing something right there, right? Because those guys love him. But the reality of it is he's a smarter baseball guy than that to understand the history and what this guy did to the rest of the game, okay? And as far as I'm concerned, he's right where he should be, and that's nowhere near baseball. So that's, that's and, and you know what? Look around the game. AJ got back in. Cora got back in. Luno, you say Luno's name, it's like saying Voldemort. 
Nobody wants to see anything to do with this guy. And there's a reason for it, Brent. So while you're sitting there and you're, and you're crying for your buddy, and I understand, understand the rest of the world sees him for what he is. Still fires me, still fires me up, man. This guy just put St. Baseball back two decades. It's unbelievable how many lives this, this, guy, this guy went out and ruined. And then, then he went on TV with um, a different station. Let's leave, leave them out of it for a minute, but a different station. And cry me a river. Oh, it's not my fault. I'm not, it Stop it. Stop it. See, Bernie's pissed off. Even Bernie's pissed. Stop it. Okay? It's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Bernie will stop. But, you know, what also is interesting to me was what Tony La Russa said after the game about how he felt that the Astros were throwing at Jose Abreu, and if they don't admit it, then they're being dishonest. I mean, how many shots can the White Sox take at the Astros that are just completely ridiculous? Can we just can we just back up and realize that my dog lost his mind at the word Luno? Or Luno. <laughs> Luno, whatever. He went, what? <clears throat> you know, I mean, that's that's kind of the, you know, it's kind of the mentality. It's like, I don't know. And what you said about the White Sox, sorry, I just Bernie's Bernie's a guard dog. He was guarding the game for a second. So when it comes to um when it comes to uh, I mean, Russo. Jeremy, it was in the, what, eighth inning? It was a 3-2 count on Jose Abreu. Graveman has had some have, has had some control issues, and you think that he's throwing at your guy? I mean, you could argue that Jose Abreu is one of the most respected, if not the most respected player on that White Sox roster. He's the anti-Luno. He is the most respected guy. He, he's great. He's great. And I just watched his preparation, how he interacted with people for a few days. It's ludicrous to think that would happen. You know, Tony needs to, I don't want to say take a lap because I can't respect the guy too much to say that, but um, that's off. That's off. I also thought it was interesting how the Astros responded to Ryan Tapera's comments. And I got thinking, Alex Bregman, we've seen him grow up, be, you know, right in front of our eyes. And I wonder how the Alex Bregman of a few years ago would have handled. I mean, he was the one Astro that was put in front of a microphone the day after Ryan Tapera makes those comments. And Alex Bregman says, whatever works for you, man, we're just focused on winning baseball games. And it was the perfect response. Now, granted, I think we know now that the players, I don't think it gave them extra motivation, but it certainly, um, yeah, they noticed. Yeah, but I heard. Would the Alex Bregman from a few years ago, would he have said the same thing? They've grown up, and that's a testament to what, first of all, what they went through with the scandal. Second of all, Dusty's ability to shepherd them. And, and third of all, a more humble culture that James Click has tried to install. Um, it, it's, it really is a different group. Absolutely. All right, real quick, ALCS. I'm looking at this roster for the Red Sox. I'm looking at this roster, and I, I mean, guess how many pitchers the Red Sox had this season? How many they used? 34. 37, which isn't a little bit, I think, probably more than, than your average team. But sure. um, I think really the, the Red Sox, the Astros, you said it on KHO 11 News, they're better at hitting, better pitching, better defense. 
But something about this team right now, the way they're playing still scares me. If you're, if you're an Astros fan, um, I think really the Astros probably have an advantage at nearly every single position with maybe the exception of third base. I mean, you've got two all-stars and you can split hairs there, but am I, am I off base on that? No, I, I like the Astros in this series, you know, um, but I think we can agree the Red Sox scare us. You know, they, they you know, two, three years ago, almost to the day, actually, we were in Boston. And, um, you know, we said then the Astros should have won that series and the Red Sox won the World Series, right? So um, Alex Cora is back at the helm of this club. He's got them believing and playing hard. He's got them executing. He's got them capitalizing on mistakes. Um, I think the Astros did a good job last series of minimizing their mistakes. And I think as long as they do that and they take care of business, they should be okay. Um, the ter- two turning points in the last series they don't have to deal with right now, one of which was A.J. Hinch at the helm, and one of which was um, just the play of, of Martin Maldonado in Boston where he kind of forgot how to catch, right? And oh, I don't man, think, I forgot about that. I don't think that's going to happen this time around. Um, and then A.J. Hinch in game three goes and gets Keuchel after five because the numbers say so, and then I think it was Joe Smith comes in, and I forget who it was, Steve Pierce, maybe. Steve Pierce hit a ball that might just have landed, like right now, you know, off him in the whole era around Minute Maid Park. And I looked at you, I think I said, and that's it. That's serious right there. It's over because, you, you know, those type of decisions or those type of, of, of actions are turning points. Um, I, You know, Dusty's a different guy. James Click is a different guy. He's certainly not Jeff Luno. Um, you know, sorry, Bernie. And, and so I feel like, um, you know, I feel like it's – the Astros have a pretty good shot. I will say as well as the Red Sox were playing and they had to play that well to get through Tampa, um, it's it's going to be a, a barn burner. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes at least six. Yeah, I, I said last night I thought it was six, and um, I think you picked seven. So seven. Uh, do we have time? I, I feel like uh, – do we have time to do a quick scouting report? Yeah, what do you got? I, I don't I, – I get the sense that, you know, Bernie's kind of thrown you off your mojo a little bit. No, nah, I, I think I think that even the mention of Jeff Luno and him being positive for baseball and some kind of reference just fires me and it's so disrespectful to everybody else that's that's done this that has still done it. It's disrespectful to the previous regime and what they did to help them get there. It's disrespectful to his his general manager now. And, and look, maybe they don't take it that way. I take it that way because it's so it's never just one front office. Now, if if, if I don't, I want to get back on that topic. It's it's frustrating to me because the game has made such strides and how we're using numbers in, in, in a reversion to, to manage to the managers that are in the game now and some of the approaches and Brent Strong's been in this game a long, long, long time to understand all of those things to just kind of give one guy credit when he saw the damage that's happened in baseball because of it. It's just frustrating. He's entitled to his opinion, man, that one fires me up to hear. That's just, that's hard. That's hard to stomach. I will say this. I have not looked at the interview, uh, what we call the raw video. So right. I don't know if Brent single, singled out other people. My guess is um, I don't think he did, but that's just to be clear. I haven't listened to the entire interview um, because Matt and uh, our photojournalist, Mike, are still on a plane get, coming back to Houston. All right, so this is it. Uh, this is the last uh, part of the podcast where we go back to one of your old scouting reports. 
I noticed this, Jeremy. We're kind of running out of guys because we've been doing this podcast for so long. Yeah, it's been a while. There's there's a whole another couple of treasure troves in here I haven't shown you, but I'll I'll get them to you. Oh, whoa, whoa! What are you? What? Are, why? What, what, you've been holding holding out on us? Like what's going you on? Got, with that? Um, you got. 12, 13, 14, and 15. I'm missing 14. 14 is empty. But anyways. I have 14. Uh, I can find. I have it here. And I have 8, 9, 10, and 11 as well. Oh, I want 8, 9, 10, and 11. This one's really interesting. And what I love is your comp. Because, yeah. man, like, you like, I mean, let me rephrase that. Let me just give you the summary. Backup corner infielder at the major league level with some bat. Feel to control the strike zone, stay inside the baseball, has feel of his barrel and where his body is before contact. Good around the bag with his feet, but needs work on balls in the dirt, making a conversion from the other infield corner. Buying bat here with no versatility, no real ceiling, but will perform and has a feel to drive and runs. You said uh, take him in the 10th round and the Los Angeles Dodgers took him. Oakland A's took him. I'm sorry. The Oakland A's. I'm sorry. That's right. The Oakland A's took him. And now I don't have it. We're talking Max Muncie. Oakland Max A's took him in the, Muncie. Yeah, the Oakland A's took him in the fifth round. Armand Brown drafted him out of Baylor. I want to say that was 2009 or 10, 10 maybe, 2010. Um, Armand drafted him there. Um, well, no, it Max, had to be. This is a 2000. Uh, this is a 2000. Uh, Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. What well, I'm sorry. You're saying he was taken out of high school in 2009. Yes. So the this Indians took him out of 2012 report. Right? The Indians took him in 09, and then the Oakland A's took him in the fifth round. In 2012, out of Baylor. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, he, he's a guy that, you know, benefited by some swing changes and adjustments in the organization. He's hit more than anybody thought, except for maybe the A's. I mean, you know, back the guy, the other guy that, uh, and it's not the same type of guy. Paul Goldschmidt went in the eighth round. Brandon Belt went in the fifth round. This guy went in the fifth round. So these guys weren't slam dunks to go hit a lot, you know, and they went out and did it and they performed. I liked Muncie. To be honest with you, I didn't love him. I saw him for what he was. I got him. Our organizational philosophy wanted guys a little more athletic, a little more live, um, you know, and he just he was out of reach for us a little bit. Yeah, I just love your player comparison, though, man. Who do I throw on him? Um, who did you tell me before the podcast started? Wayne Gross. <laughs> Never expected a Wayne Gross reference. Yeah, I, I, I was as a kid growing up for a few years in Oakland. Sure. Um, I mean, part of the A's clubhouse, you know, I was as a, as a very young kid, I used to go in there with Tony Phillips and Ricky Henderson and uh, Dave Stewart and some of those guys just take me in there. And, and Tony was the chief one. Um, but Wayne Gross was their third baseman. Mm -hmm. This is early 80s, like 81, 82, somewhere in there. And I had a couple of Wayne Gross bats. And for whatever reason, I just never forgot watching him play. And so when I saw Muncie, that was part of it. Well, guess what? This one's even better because it's not it's not Muncie or it's not Wayne Gross. Who is it? Eric Hinsky. Oh, that's right. Hinsky there. That's right. And, and here's what's Hinsky. crazy, Jeremy. Yeah. This year, Max Muncie hit 249 with 36 bombs and 94 runs driven in, right? Right. Eric Hinsky's career batting average was the same. It was 249. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we actually had Hinsky in Milwaukee at that time. I was in Seattle, but I, I think Wayne Gross is what I put on him out of high school. And so then I saw this would, would have been out of college. Yeah, that makes sense. Eric Hinsky converting. That's right. Could hit. Yeah, look at you. Honestly. 
Look at you. All right. Well, um, we thanks everybody for your patience. We've been running all around and doing news coverage, so we didn't have time to do a podcast. Um, we can't really give you a uh, Wayne Gross career batting average, 233, by the way. Uh, we couldn't really give you a, um, uh, a couple of podcasts because of uh, travel schedules, but that's why we wanted to do this one. And um, we'll see you on the TV side, right, Jeremy? Absolutely. Uh, picking it up, I guess, Friday. Yeah, Friday. So please subscribe, like, comment, all that good stuff, and we'll catch you next time on Extra Basis. Wayne Gross. Wayne Gross.